Let and Change every Thursday from 11 to 1 right here on the Sensation Station Network. I am Dr. Pamela, and today I will be joined by two phenomenal guests. In the first hour, Devon Coleman, and in the second hour, Artemis Armstrong. And we'll be discussing what it means to find the drive against the odds. Um, today, we're going to be looking at what it takes and what this actually means um, when, you know, the cards are stacked up against you or you might not have, you know, been born with a silver spoon in your mouth and you've got to actually figure it out and um, and make things happen in life. And so we're going to look at um, two men who have made that happen in their life and, um, uh, and really learn from their strategies and their success and, and their mindset. Um, black men in the U.S. have long had to face um, barriers um, to success that are just disproportionate to that of many other, um, you know, demographics. And obtaining success as a black man takes a higher level of determination, motivation, and relentless drive. Um, And so today our guests will share their stories of beating these odds and how their journeys are paving the way for others. So I'm really excited to hear the stories of these two gentlemen um, and uh, I'm sure you've got lots of wisdom and nuggets to, to bring to the table so stay with us we'll be right back on the live exchange welcome back to the live exchange I'm Dr. Pamela and today we are looking at this whole idea of finding the drive and beating the odds and uh, I want to introduce our first guest um, our first guest is Damon Coleman he is a father husband author travel enthusiast, renowned business and sales leader. He's a lifelong learner and personal development coach to thousands around the world. From prison inmate to speaker and multi-million dollar business mogul, Damon Coleman sets out to take over the feminine product space with his new line, Essentials. Uh, Coleman launched Cherished, um, as the global uh, and as the global director of sales, he helped to generate 1.6 million in sales in the first 30 days, and one and 5.6 million in the first year. Cherish was in operation. Very impressive. Cole successfully sold his shares of the company in 2018. Welcome, Damon Coleman. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's this is quite a story. I mean, I. <laughs> There's so many places that I can begin here. I mean, my goodness. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll start with, um, <laughs> if you wouldn't mind telling us um, how you have become the person you've become. I know that's a big question, but just in terms of your personality and your drive and where you find it in yourself, where did that even come from? Well, well Dr. Pamela, it, it came out of a place of, of need uh, and, and a great place of want. And so, Mm. you know, you start off with the basic necessities in life, you know, you have to eat, you have to have a roof over your head, you know, and clothes on your back, you know, the basic necessities. And growing up in my household, uh, those basics were luxuries. (laughs) Uh, My Mm. mom, uh, thank God, you know, she is uh, the, the woman that she is, but she raised five boys and three girls, uh, four baby daddies. (laughs) So eight of us and uh, with no, no real support. And so at one point in time in my life, we knocked on doors for bread, butter, flour, sugar between the first and the 15th, you know, with our neighbors, Mm -hmm. we stayed in the projects and, you know, with that came a lot of uh, humbling and uh, anger, uh, but also uh, skill. 
And, and that's because sometimes people will answer the door and be so yeah. nice, give you more than what you ask for. Sometimes you knock on your friends' doors, you hear them laughing, playing, but when you knock, all of a sudden, everybody gets quiet, okay? Mind you, that same mm. might have knocked on your door last week, okay? And then you got to see that friend at the bus stop the next morning. Right. So right. all of these different things going through uh, my childhood, you know, my mom getting married to my stepfather, getting us out of that situation. The projects moved us into Ferguson. That's actually where Michael Brown was shot uh, by the police officers. Many become, you know, F Ferguson mm. unbelievably became, you know, famously known, uh, but for such a tragic circumstance, yeah. but needed awareness uh, in my community. But we moved to Ferguson where, you know, single car garages, uh, you know, 1,300 square feet, you know, home. So nothing big, but it was a home. It was a house. And uh, it was a neighborhood. Right. And uh, it was in that neighborhood. I actually learned how to cut grass, rake leaves, shovel snow. So at like eight, nine, Hustle. ten years old, you know, I'm hustling. <laughs> uh, because yeah, I, got tired I love the, it. The $5 haircuts. I got tired of the $25, $30 tennis shoes. And, you know, it was like mm -hmm. my mom always told me, this is what I have. Whatever you could put with it, then you could do better. And so I was the, uh, the put with it kid. <laughs> I was always <laughs> doing something to put something with it. And so, you know, like I said, it came from needs like being hungry and you're going to mm -hmm. get out there and knock on them steel doors and them projects and you better come back with some flour, right. some bread, some butter or something, you know. And, and mm -hmm. so to, to once of, man, I want my starter jacket, I want my LA gear boots. You know, so <laughs> that's where that true ambition, that grit and uh, uh, grind was first from. Okay, well, I am glad that that was my first question because that gave us some really good foundation for <laughs> the rest of this conversation. <laughs> um, that, that's that's really great because all of those skills and and the things that you mentioned, um, I, I I would imagine are quite transferable to you know, what what it is you're doing now. So so I want to go into really. Um, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I really want to get into your journey. Um, and it says from prison inmate to speaker and multi-million dollar business mogul. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the prison inmate experience and, you know, what led you there and then what, what kind of changed your life after that? So what, what led me there was, you know, cutting grass, raking leaves with shoveling snow. You know, that was cool up until I was about 12 and 13 years old. But in Kinlock, where mm -hmm. I grew up, uh, before we moved to Ferguson, you know, a lot of my friends started selling drugs at that age. But as a matter of fact, by the time I was 10, I knew I wanted to sell drugs. I just didn't know how, when, because my brother was doing it. He was making a lot of money, but my mom was always into it. And then I had to watch my mom kick him out the house. And, you know, I just, I didn't want to put through that, you know, because I like, I was a mama's boy. Like I was tough. I fought yeah. like crazy every day, but you could say nothing about my mama. You could look at my mama because she's so beautiful. I used to be so protective. <laughs> uh, and I just didn't want to break a heart. Uh -huh. You know, and so when yeah. they were doing that, I started selling candy in junior high school. So I transitioned from being the neighborhood landscaper to now I got a whole enterprise in middle school. I got people working for me, coming to my locker, wow. getting bubble wishes. <laughs> You've <laughs> always been a businessman. <laughs> yeah, so I would buy a seven pack of bubble delicious for a dollar thirty nine. I used to come to the strip, y'all remember? Seven pack of bubble delicious, dollar thirty nine. 
I would go to uh, school selling for 50 cents a pack. So there was $3.50 on every dollar fifty. Now, mind you, my friends are buying stones, which was little, little small pieces of crack. That's what we called it growing up. They would buy stones where they'd get a double up, $50, and they make $100 like that. So I'm, I'm trying to keep up with these guys because come Saturday, they already got on the Fisherman's, the LA Gear boots, different colors, starter jackets. Yeah. And then my team was good. Like, you know, style was status. And so if right. you, have, you had no status, you had no girlfriend. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so my dad got clean from cocaine when I was about 13. He bought me some clippers. I became a self-taught barber. So by the time I was 15, Moved in with my dad, uh, was good enough cutting hair at the age of 15 to where I had a basement full of guys after school. Moved to the county uh, mm-hmm. area called Florston and uh, predominantly white area, but you had a nice group of, of black folks out there. And so by me being from the city, could cut a little bit like I was the guy. So guys would come to me, get a haircut. And by now, I'm selling weed. So you come get a haircut and you buy a sack. OK, and that, that, that would have put about okay. $30 my pocket and this was my freshman year in high school i was only 15 and i'm trying to catch up to my friends now because now they're selling eight balls you know quarter ounces half ounces of cocaine they buying cars with beats in them paint jobs you know and this was the reality of wow. my neighborhood it was normal it was matter of fact it was abnormal yeah it's, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like what's your problem <laughs> like you know a matter of fact i felt like right. i was my big brother because when i started hustling at 15, he got shot, decided to, this is my brother that my mom was beefing with, right? He got shot and uh, decided to stop selling dope. And uh, I was mad at him. Like, we had, a, like, almost an altercation because I'm like, man, what you mean you stopped? Wow. You, like, he, that was, he was my hero. Like, every, wow. my brother was, was 19 in our neighborhood with Audi 4000s, a beautiful home. A girlfriend like 26 years old, like living. And back in the 80s, like that was normal, you know? So, oh, yeah. So, so let me, let me just fast forward you a little bit too. So, so at some point, this caught up to you. You got incarcerated. Yeah, 28 got indicted for cocaine and marijuana conspiracy. They put me on the front page of the newspaper saying I was facing five to 40 years in prison. Okay, wow. and uh, grace of God, my co-defendants that told on me, they told the truth because a lot of them lied on each other to get less of time. But we had a cocaine, uh, marijuana, money laundering, tax evasion case. And so it was okay. five tons of marijuana on the case. And because of the, even though they, everybody told the truth and I only sold the marijuana, it was the quantity that still made the federal. So I got, got sentenced it. to work. Uh, the most time I could have got based on the guidelines was four years. The minimum I could have got was three. The judge gave me three years. I actually stopped selling dope six months before I got indicted, but it was a three-year ongoing investigation. So before I got, got indicted, it. I already enrolled in my first semester of college. Uh, my wife I'm married to now, she's a physician. I actually uh, stopped selling drugs and got into nursing school, believe it or not. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so she was going to be the doctor. I was going to be the nurse. We started on practice. I was already flipping houses at that time, you know, on the mortgage wow. business as well. And uh, I just knew for sure, you know, that um, that's what I was going to do. But then I ended up that October, 
after I started my first semester at college is when they put me on the front page of the newspaper. So got sentenced uh, July 2005, got out March 7, 2007, came to Atlanta, Georgia, uh, thought I was going to be flipping houses, doing mortgage loans, the real estate market crash. And uh, fast forward to 2008, you know, just was working 18 hours a day, things just moving really slow. And by that, uh, let's see, November, good friend of mine from St. Louis came to Atlanta and we was about to start getting some things in motion again. And I'd only been out for like, oh, maybe 18 months. I think I've been on the streets okay. all two years. And for the first time in my life, I stopped being judgmental of guys who get out and go back and get out and go back. I was like, damn, like, I'm about to be one of them guys. Yeah, it got to that point where I was like, I'm doing all I can and everything I know to do that can make me so really, really good money like I've been taking away. You couldn't buy a good deal in real estate. Then they changed the banking law, said you can no longer do mortgages as a convicted felon. You now have to be licensed just like a real estate agent. When the guy that I met that taught me how to flip houses did time in prison in, in Texas, okay? And he got out so of a millionaire. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you for a minute there, um, only because we're going to get your whole story. Um, okay. So I was just, I'm, I'm just. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, <laughs> said, how did I get there? I, I, I know, I, I know. I can tell you. <laughs> um, but we're, we're going to go to a break. And um, when okay. we come back, we're going to go into a little bit of topics. I really look forward to hearing uh, a little bit of your thought insight on uh, what's trending. And um, so everybody stay with okay. us. We'll be right back on the live exchange. Right. So trending today. Um, well, you know, trending this week, um, we, I, you know, I'll be remiss if uh, we didn't talk about the verses from this past Sunday, because that was the big, uh, <laughs> the big dialogue over the weekend. Uh, while entire generations worth of hits, with entire generation worth of hits between them, a pair of ageless soul funk outfits shared the verses stage on Sunday night and uh, in a battle and mutual celebration of their respective catalogs of classics and you know as they said it, it would be a 10 hour concert if they played everything that they have under their belts uh, Sunday's matchup between the Isley brothers and Earth, Wind and Fire was matched in versus history um, perhaps the only uh, only by September matched only by September love fest between Patti Bell and Gladys Knight um, I know that's a close that's neck and neck in terms of a decade spanning rages um, smashes with Earth, Wind and Fire's hit making career dating back to the early 70s and the Isleys uh, dating all the way back to the late 50s for their shout breakthrough. Um, listening to their dozens of gems alongside one another was almost like a tour through funk, soul, pop, rock history, uh, through countless trends, both reflected and forecasted um, in the, the, the um, playlist. I mean, the songs were, I mean, it was just, it was an amazing evening. <laughs> um, and everybody, and this, by the way, is... Um, uh, everybody was just really raving about Isley. Like, is that him? Is that him? Is that right? You know, and, um, you know, there's a lot of dialogue going on around that. <laughs> so, but it was just so nice, um, you know, to, to kind of see these two uh, iconic groups just go at it in a loving, fun, uh, 
um, way. And so I, you know, a lot of my people were asking, you know, do you, do we think that this versus thing will continue? It started in COVID. It was a way to keep us entertained, uh, you know, during this time of being quarantined. And honestly, I can see some outdoor concerts. I can see some, <laughs> um, you know, especially here in Atlanta um, with versus with, with these these competitions. And so I don't know. Did you get a chance to check it out, Jamon? No, I didn't. I'm kind of like a hermit right now. I'm such a workaholic, okay. but I want to see if I can find a replay. Yeah, and there are. It's out there. There is a replay, and it is well worth your time. Um, and just turn it on while you're working, and, and you'll, you'll enjoy it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes, it's so funny because there's um, there's all these memes going around that are saying you know you know Isley can have. Um, the, or the the um, Ron Isley can have three generations of women uh, just because of that beard and gray and the salt and pepper, you know, the mom, the daughter, and the granddaughter uh, are swooning over him. So, uh, so, uh, so a little lighthearted, trending, um, you know, uh, topics. But just to get a little bit back into, uh, you know, your story and your experience, um, you know, really just interesting. You know, what I'm hearing is this just this this common theme, this common thread of you really just being resourceful and really knowing how to problem solve. You know, here is this challenge. I'm not really going to let this challenge defeat me or overcome I'm just going to come up with a few solutions and move from there. And um, so it, it, I would imagine that this comes into play with your business skills for an entrepreneur. So I, it seems that you've just been, you're, you're a natural born entrepreneur. You, you know, I, I appreciate that, you know, natural born, well, I was just in Dubai, and the, the the owner of the company I, I was I was sitting down with. He said something very powerful, and he said it very casually, and he said it so fast. I, I don't think any anybody else really caught it, but we talked about it later. I said, "I heard you say your people are innovators, like it's your bloodline and and, and your birthright." And I'm like, "Wow, he, he's from Bangladesh, which basically is a break off from India." Okay, it's a you know it used to be all one, mm -hmm. yeah. So um, you think about who's running IT right now, you know, and you think about you know who's leading different industries. And when I look at my great grandmother was Coralie Steinberg, that means she was Jewish, and by birthright on my mom's side, that means I am also Jewish. But now on my dad's side, I have deep Cherokee roots. <laughs> now, what mm. African tribe I come from, I don't know, but I do know I come from one of them. And when I tell you, I'm a right. firm believer that we all have gifts. Now, I have honed yes. in on those gifts. I've focused in on being an entrepreneur and I'm a fighter <clears throat> by nature. I come from chiefs, a tribe of chief Indians here, which I don't even know what we call them Indians. We don't know what they call it. This was just their land. <laughs> we'll call them, I'll call them the originals. <laughs> right, original, right. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're warriors. And so when I look at my makeup and who I am as a man, yes, I, my story is not much different from a lot of my friends, except for 
I can be honest with you, what I'm learning right now about the law of vibration and how we really attract who we are and how we think. I always thought in abundance, yes. even living in the projects, even in prison, I thought in abundance, getting getting out of having doors slammed in my face and even thinking about getting back in the streets. It was always a mindset of abundance. I just always was looking for something mm -hmm. where I didn't sell drugs. That was my main thing. What can yeah. I do that's going to make me the kind of money, give me the kind of lifestyle that I was able to earn when I was in them streets, risk, risking my life and risking my freedom. But I had done it for so long. And like I say, it was so normalized. You know, you knew the consequences. And yeah. so I measured those and say, okay, I just sell weed. But even because of the quantity, it was still federal. And so coming out, not having these doors open, I started selling flat irons and blow dryers. And then I, I did so well yeah. that uh, the owner of the company asked me to come to the Brown Brothers to work the floor. And that's when the lady introduced me to network marketing. That was in 2008. I didn't really see it until that November, right when I was getting ready to get back in them streets. Thank God I got a check right before Christmas from that company for $1,700. And that was the Body Magics. That was my first network marketing company. Okay, and by that wow. July of 2009, I was earning over $50,000 a month in income. It was unbelievable. Uh, my wife had just finished a residency from Morehouse School of Medicine. She was coming out on a contract for like 110000 a year until she passed the boards. And here it is now. I'm making this every two months. And I'm like two years out of prison. I just got out March 07. And now this is July 09. And uh, like I said, you know, I become the first man to hit the top of that company. Stayed there for a couple of years, built the home we live in now uh, in the middle of the recession, got a killer deal. But I uh, went on to another company mm -hmm. in marketing, and that's where I earned my first million dollars. That was a coffee company. Uh, it went viral. Had a huge organization from there. Uh, had a couple of opportunities, but then I started my own network marketing company called Inspired Network. And that's when I introduced Cherish Premium Sanitary Napkins to the world. That's the company that went viral, did 1.6 million in sales in the first 30 days. And uh, that was only because of the lack of inventory. And uh, we closed out that right. person close to 6 million really for the same reason. Could have been over 20 million, um, but you know things work out the way that they're supposed to. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, so so um, so being a born a natural born entrepreneur um, and the skill sets that you you know have acquired over the years, um, you know, it's it, you know that's evident in the different things that you're doing now. Um, I, I'm planning on asking you about a lot of these things that you brought up um, with regards to um, how you got involved with. Um, well, let me back up because there was another question I was going to ask um, earlier on. Um, you were incarcerated for selling marijuana. Marijuana is now legal. Do you have any kind of any thoughts about that? Any any interest at all in um, getting into the business? Um, you know, where are you with that whole controversial topic of marijuana not being legal, it being a a crime that I think primarily targets black communities. And now that it's legal, it is a business enterprise that, um, you know, people are capitalizing on. Um, and, you know, it's, so it's just been such a, an interesting evolution about how that has all played out. Wow. It's a very powerful question. <laughs> so there's so many layers to that. 
uh, so many emotions. You know, I have uh, been a connoisseur of marijuana since I've been 15 years old. Uh, I have smoked marijuana almost every day of my life, except for the time that I've been incarcerated. Uh, I'm not a marijuana abuser. Uh, you know, I smoke right. very little marijuana, uh, to be honest with you, but I smoke consistently. And I believe for who I am and uh, <laughs> I just think it's amazing. I just think it, it helps a lot of people. Uh, I think for some people, maybe not so much. I got a 25-year-old son. I told son, you do not need to smoke weed. Like, it is not like you. Like, it is not your friend. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> in, in, terms, in terms of uh, the legalization of it, you know, marijuana has never killed anyone. You have alcohol that kills people every single day from the inside out, from accidents to self-destruction. Uh, I mean, you name it. It's always been about the money. And so my feelings about it is just like this. If black people wouldn't have went through hell and hell and back and back again, uh, you wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. Uh, yeah. None of this would be happening. Uh, people had to die. People had to be maimed and murdered and raped. And, you know, all these things had to happen. And so, I mean, Donald Trump was just the president of the United States. Guys, you got to understand we live in America. You, 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 uh, you know, if you don't like it, you can change it. And, 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 if, and, if, and if we don't like it enough together, we can change a lot of things like we did with George Floyd. And when he got murdered and we came together and got unified, like I could go on and on. Guys, there's so many layers to this, but I can tell you, I'm the guy to figure it out why I, I should never sell dope ever, ever, never, ever again. I got it now. I never have to worry about it. I, I had to count change for groceries at one point, even after owning my own network marketing company. <clears throat> But then less than a year later, I was earning over six figures a month. Why am I sharing this? Because even when I was counting pennies in 2019, I almost lost everything. Uh, I didn't think about selling dope. You know why? Because mm -hmm. you can't win. Like the game is fixed. And I'm too smart for that now. I, I ask God for wisdom. I pray for wisdom. And yeah. this wisdom will not allow for me to play a game that I just is fixed for me to lose. Like there's no winning in selling yeah. dope. Not weed, not cocaine. So even within, so within, even within the legal um, parameters, it's not really a, a desire, an interest. Uh, you know, there are so many other things that I can do. You know, even though I smoke weed spiritually, I know, like, I, I don't really think God approves. Like, I just, I'm just gonna keep it real. So one day I probably won't be smoking. <laughs> I do not want my kids, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but I you know, I'm so transparent because I know my truth can help somebody in their own way. So I don't like to be fake. But my point is, when it comes to the legalization uh, of marijuana, I think it's great that a lot of convicted felons are now taking advantage of the industry legally, you know, making fortunes. Uh, thank God, man, because if they wasn't, they'd be on their way back to jail. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, so when we come back, I want to know how you got into the sanitary napkin industry and um, talk a little bit about uh, what it means to actually, you know, have millions. Um, because we hear that a lot. We hear, oh, millionaire, millionaire. We're going to talk about what that actually means. So stay with yes. us. We'll okay. right back. All right, welcome back to the Light Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and I am joined today by Devon Coleman, who um, is a million dollar business mogul. Um, and one of the businesses that you have, Devon, is a, um, a feminine product line. And um, 
really interesting. I thought, whoa, how did you even get into this? Um, so I would love to know. Number one, number one, I have to say relationships. You know, every everywhere I've gone in my life, everything I'm experiencing, even right now today, the miracles that are happening are based on relationships. And that coffee company where I earned my first million dollars, there was a gentleman who befriended me who I thought was cool, you know, but I didn't really, you know, put a lot of time in, in, into getting to know him, et cetera, et cetera. But whenever he would come to the United States, he would always invite me to come to New York where his sister lived just to come and hang out, I guess. But come to find out, he was putting a company together and he wanted mm -hmm. me to be VP of North America. It was a coffee company. Wow. And the reason I wasn't interested is because it was a copy of the company that he and I were already a part of. And I just thought that was corny. I was like, man, why would you want to copy everything these guys have already done? And we already see what direction it's going in and not so well. And so I, yeah. I wasn't interested. Well, finally, he um, just said, man, we'll just come to New York, hang out. I'll be there, celebrate my birthday, et cetera, et cetera. So I go to New York and finally worked out our schedules match. And I'm like, great guy. We had a really nice time. And he said, well, man, I got my grand launch coming up in September. I love for you to come over, celebrate my birthday. You know, that's when we actually, um, you know, going to have my official birthday party, the grand launch of my company. So I'm like, OK, no problem, JJ, even though I told him I wasn't interested in the company. I go over there and um, man, I was just like I'd never been as far away from home. I was in the Philippines and God told me, he said, expect something to happen. And uh, and I did. And uh, got over there, a good friend of mine, Joel, who I didn't know was coming, met me at the registration desk. I'm like, man, what are you doing here? He like, JJ want me to be the VP of Latin America. Didn't really, you know, wasn't interested in the company. But Chris, who was his wife, kept saying, let's just take the trip, Joel. You know, we've never been to Asia. Let's just go see. So we get over there, you know, like give JJ everything we have in terms of you know, consulting him, helping with his compensation plan, the system, the whole nine, because even though we're not doing this, this is probably about a $15,000 trip this guy invested in us coming wow. over. Flew us, a, flew us to a private island called Basilin where Oprah and Michael Jordan and these guys be going, you have to take a private charter plane to get there. I'm talking about just pure opulence, just amazing. So <laughs> right before... <laughs> Right before we get ready to leave to come back to the States, uh, Joel says, hey, remember, I had a product I wanted to share with you last year, but it wasn't ready. Plus, you had just got started with this other company. I don't want to distract you. I'm like, yeah, I remember. He said, well, I have it. Do you want to see it? So him and Chris come up to my room. They do this demonstration with the sanitary napkin. My first emotion. I grabbed the pillow off the bed, guys, and I just started beating them with it. I was like, man, dude, I'm trying to figure out this next step in my life. Like, what is, you know, what am I, what am I about to do? You know, you've been holding this for a year. I'm like, man, are you kidding me? So anyway, I tell him, don't worry about it, Joel. I got it. Man, we're going to figure this out. And so that night, JJ uh, sent the car for me at like midnight to come and uh, basically beg me to be a part of his company. I said, JJ, I have no amount of money I could take uh, because I don't see the vision. I said, as a matter of fact, I found what I've been looking for and I found it right here. He said, what? I said, the pads. He said, the pads? I said, yeah, the pads. The pads Joel has. He said, my brother. 
He said, this is a very good business in Asia. And before you know it, before I left this office, I had my own division of this company where I was going to get these sanitary napkins and mass production. Joel and I was going to run that division. I brought it back to the States. And guys, it went viral. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> we went, it went viral. And, and basically, it's the demonstration. It's because, first of all, we found out the sanitary napkins have been causing a lot of women and children health challenges. And a lot of these health challenges you can find on Google, WebMD, but they have been associated with the use and the manufacturing practices of sanitary napkins because of chlorine, guys. And you're talking about something that, you know, goes on the outer uh, layer of a woman's body and sometimes even inserted that has poison in it. And so mm. if this poison is getting into a woman's system over and over every single month, year after year, from tampons to synthetic uh, pads and all of this, there's going to be some challenges. No different from eating eating G- GMO foods or, you know, uh, food uh, uh, dyes and colors. And, you know, right. it's, 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 yeah, we're in America. Again, guys, we're in America. So you, you have to do two things. You have to educate yourself. You have to become aware and you have to figure out where you where you fit into this whole equation and where I fit in is is impact and everything I've ever done has other people have benefited from it and I'm like wow here's a way that I can provide a service to our women and our children and tap into one of the top three residual incomes in the world now I'm not trying to go to these big companies you know I don't name drop you know but I can tell you right now the movement I started five years ago is one of the reasons why you've seen the influence and more healthier feminine hygiene products. However, the secret has yet to be revealed, and that's what's about to happen when we launch Essentials. And so that I'm here for multiple reasons, guys, to bring impact, bring education, because a lot of men and women, men who have daughters, sisters, and mothers also need to know that there's options out there in a feminine hygiene space that would not harm, you know, their loved ones. So question, um, tell me about, and you said there's some surprise, so I don't know if this question is leaning into the direction of your surprise, but um, what is it about your products that solve the problem, you know, of the toxic chemicals that were, so what is it about your products that make it, that's more healthy? And, yeah, and, it, and it's not going to be a, a, a surprise so much for the people that know, but it's going to be a surprise from the standpoint that this is the first time that I have what I need to make the product really go where it needs to go from a marketing standpoint. And uh, the world as a whole has not seen this technology. First of all, we have cotton in our products, so we don't use synthetic products so that, that the, the, the woman's body is in direct contact with that top layer on that feminine hygiene product. If that top layer is made out of synthetics, plastics, furrings, you know, anything like that, then it's gonna cause irritation, it's gonna cause shaping. Not to mention, if it's synthetic, that means it's made out of unnatural uh, uh, ingredients and materials. Therefore, replacing that with what women originally had during that time of the month, which is cotton, that you don't have to bleach, okay? And it is very soft. And very comfortable. We found out that during this time of the month, there's there's two things that are the most important to a woman: to be dry and to be comfortable. Okay, yeah. and so we can, and we can help. Go ahead. I'm just curious, why is bleach even needed in these products? That you know, because that's obviously problematic. Um, we we don't need white 
products. <laughs> so I'm just curious to know why that is even an ingredient in some of these products. Um, it doesn't. Because it doesn't white, seem white reminds you of what? Of clean, supposedly. Uh, and, what else? and purity <laughs> and sanitize. And, I yeah. would prefer something Thorough. that's not white, you know, something that's, you know, I think there's some products that are coming out that are black, you, you know, so you don't see any, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's just, it, 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 I'm just curious as to where that even came from, but that, that makes sense. The, this whole idea. And white also, white has an appearance of cotton. What did you guys originally use? You originally yeah. used cotton. Yeah. So yeah. Appearance of cotton. Yeah. Well, okay, and you know, I could just, I, I can dig into this, but we're going to go to another break uh, and uh, we're going to uh, come back and uh, we'll finish this conversation. So stay with us, stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela and I am joined by Damon Coleman, who is a husband, father, author, travel enthusiast, business owner, multi-million dollar business owner. Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that I, I really wanted to dive into a little bit about this idea of um, millionaire. Everybody, um, not everybody, but it's, you know, that word has been thrown around a lot. I'm in a lot of different business groups and there's workshops on how to be a millionaire, how to reach a million with your business. Um, and I want to know from somebody who is there, you know, what does that actually look like? Um, you know, in, in re reality, does this mean that the company is making, um, you know, a good amount of money, the, the, the millions? Um, does that mean the individual is making millions? What does it actually mean? Um, and no, and, and the wording in your bio is multi-million dollar business. Um, what does that mean? Like in reality, does this mean that the, the company is doing well? Um, or, or does it depend on kind of um, the balance of revenue and all of that? So I, I guess I'm just trying to get you to talk a little bit about what it means to be a millionaire um, or to have a multi-million dollar business. Awesome question. Excellent. Well, first of all, you know, when you talk about a multi-million dollar business, it doesn't always equate to multi-millionaire. Got it. <laughs> yeah, because you have operations, you know, that's number one. And then yes. you're always putting money back into the business to keep that business going. And then the ideal is to have enough money to scale the business. And so oftentimes yes. multi-million uh, dollar business, uh, businesses can have struggling owners, you know, depending mm -hmm. on how many millions they're doing, what that business requires, you know, and, and the structure, you know, it, it, it has a lot like, you know, I almost, I, I had a $5.6 million. I mean, we raised the company to $5.6 million in a year, but a year later, I almost lost my house. <laughs> because got it, got it. You know, yeah. we, we were, we were paying our sales force more than what we were earning, you know, as yeah. owners. Now our turn, mm -hmm. our turn was coming if we could have got to a certain level, but without the adequate amount of capital, there was a huge hump uh, that we could not get over, you know, always got paying it. cash up and not having the right, right amount of inventory at the right time. It was just a lot of hurdles. Uh, but mm -hmm. I thank God for those hurdles uh, because if the business would have gone to over 30 million that year, which it could have potentially done uh, easily, if we'd have been adequately yeah. capitalized and had the right people in place, uh, I tell you, it would have been a nightmare. It would have been mm -hmm. a nightmare because of the people that I was in business with. You know, uh, that's the difference. 
Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and so, it, yeah, it could have been a nightmare. And so I, yeah. I think that it didn't go that far because, you know, had it went that far, you know, it, it just, it, it wouldn't have been good. You know, right. it, yeah, it, it wouldn't have been good. And I, I, I learned so much from that to where, you know, now with the relaunch of the new company, uh, I tell you, it's going to be amazing uh, simply because, you know, you learn multi-million dollar strategies. <laughs> you know, you, you learn yeah, what to do and what not to do. And you learn, you know, better the type of people you need to have in place. And so, you know, I've never earned, well, I won't say I never earned, because I don't even like saying never in, when it comes <laughs> to talking about cash flow. But to date, uh, I have yet to earn a million dollars in one year, uh, though I have been able to accumulate over six figures a month in income uh, multiple nice. times. You know, but the, that's an it's, important it's, distinction. Um, yeah. It's an important distinction because uh, multi-million dollar business, multi-million dollar business owner. Um, I think people get that mixed up, but it's but it says a lot when your multi-million dollar business can yield six figures for you personally in a month. So yes. that's success in my book. <laughs> so I, I, we are at the top of the hour and I want to uh, give people the opportunity to reach you. What, okay. what are the best ways for people to con connect with you? So right now I'm really focused on staying consistent on Instagram. Uh, that's where you can okay. find me for the most part. Uh, guys, I'm on Facebook. I do respond to Facebook and uh, you can get ready for the launch of Essentials, guys, which will be at shopessentials.com. You cannot order today, but after June the 5th, uh, you will be able to order from shopessentials.com. I truly appreciate you guys' support. Uh, you're talking about African-American male in this space. Uh, this is yes. huge guys and so i'm very proud uh to be able to provide something for our women that is safer for our more comfortable with our benefits yeah. that you wouldn't believe and so thank you so much for having me it's been truly an honor and uh, yeah. i know i was super transparent today with my wings oh, no, that's good. Stuff, but i just know that uh you know there's some people out there that need to hear you know the mind's truth uh in terms Absolutely. of how i got to where i am today so thank you again for having me Thank you so much, Damon, for joining us. And everybody stay with us as we continue on uh, with our next hour on uh, the whole idea of dri being driven and making it happen. We'll be right back. Good afternoon and welcome to the second half of the live exchange. Today, we are talking about finding the drive against the odds. Um, every week we are here to talk humanity, intellect, and change every Thursday from 11 to 1. And I am Dr. Pamela. Um, and in the past hour, um, we my, my guest, um, Damon Coleman, and I talked about um, just his journey from incarceration to, you know, building a multi-million dollar business and um, and really just what that means and, and just some of the really interesting strategies and business mindset that he's carried his whole life. Um, and so in this hour, um, I'm going to be joined by motivational speaker and author, Arcadius Armstrong, and we'll be further exploring his journey of beating the odds and how this has contributed to his life-changing work today. So stay with us. We are, I'm looking forward to a great, another great conversation um, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela and um, today uh, we are talking about what it means to uh, find the drive, to, you know, against the odds. Um, you know, a lot of us can 
uh, talk about our success and the ways in which um, we were kind of positioned for success. And sometimes, um, you know, other experiences are not positioned for success and we have to fight our way um, to to find that success. So I want to introduce our guest uh, for this hour. Marcus Armstrong was born in Gastonia, North Carolina. His life experiences uh, from foster care to detention centers, being a high school dropout with many run-ins with the law, eventually landed him in prison on two separate occasions. Since being released in 2006, Archivius has devoted his time with mentoring, community outreach, and eventually starting his own program called Step Up to Leadership, um, which is a mentoring program for boys. With his passion for education, Archivius wanted to further his learning and earned an associate's degree in business management from Strayer University. He developed the desire to motivate and inspire individuals to tap into their greatness through his motivational speaking, life, and success coaching. Through his high-energy speaking engagements, uh, Archivius motivates and empowers the lives of individuals by showing them that they can have exceedingly and abundantly above all that they desire. Archivius Armstrong has um, also released two books and uh, a small film documentary. Well, welcome, Archivius Armstrong. How you doing? How you doing? Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so great to have you. I mean, quite a story here. I, I really look forward to kind of hearing that as well as your your life <laughs> philosophy and how that's evolved over time. <laughs> hey, listen, I listen. I feel like you know what God allows us to go through certain things for a purpose in life. So uh, I'm just walking out my purpose right now. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So, so can you give me an idea of, um, you know, just where you mentally were at the point in your life when you, I mean, because you here it says that, you know, from foster care to detention centers um, and then where your mentality has changed, you know, if, you know, if at all, I mean, tell me about that evolution of your mindset. Um, you know, I, w- I will consider it being a shift in my life in 2005. Um, and, and, you know, many people always ask me, when did the light bulb come on? When did the, that, that turn happen in my life when I gave my life to Christ? I have to yeah. always give my credit to God because if it, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be who I am and where I am today. But um, he had to allow me to be in a place where I couldn't hear, see nothing but him. So I didn't have anything. You know, my, my back was against the wall. I was incarcerated. I was in Kentucky. I was in federal prison. And, you know, it, it was I feel like I was at that vulnerable state of mind, physically, mentally, emotionally. And so that's what he knew he had me. So he got my attention. And so I, I really just gave my life to Christ. And, you know, it wasn't no cupcake. It wasn't no easy walk. It wasn't no easy fix, you know, it was a battle. You know, I, I encourage anybody, once you turn your life around, once you try something different, it's not going to be sweet. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to grind. You're going to have to put in a lot of work to get where you got to go in life. Yeah. Well, well, so tell me about young Archivius because oh, um, Lord. You know, there's, there's, a, <laughs> there's a point at which you said you gave your life to Christ. And so prior to that, there's young Archivius, you know, tell us a little bit about who he was. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and I'm working on my third book. It's called Uneducated and Misunderstood. Um, oh. That young Archivius had experienced a lot. I, I went through a lot. I've, I witnessed a lot. But most importantly, I experienced a lot of trauma. You know, my mom was a drug addict. My father was a heroin addict. And, you know, shifted around from 
relative, to a friend, to the system. When my, my mom, when she was battling her heroin addiction, you know, the, the, the system, the DSS came in and took me and my two siblings. And, you know, you know how that goes. You know, family members may step in, family members may not step in. Um, yeah. Just what happened, family members stepped in with my two sisters, but no one picked me. No one came and got me. So I ended up going to foster care, you know, and, and you know, um, being able to experience something like that, you know, is it, is tragic. You know, yeah. it's, it's tragic in a way to where you, you ask yourself, you constantly question yourself of why me? Why am I, why am I going through this? Like, you know, I mean, where's my mom? Where's my sisters? And mm-hmm. you put up this shield, you put up this wall. And so, you know, being, being in a position where I experienced those things from a less station, um, you know, my mom, she was, again, she was dealing with her drug addiction. So, you know, I had experiences where I was being molested by a woman uh, every single night, you know what I mean? Wow. Uh, as well as uh, a man. Before I was 11 years old, I had already been molested at least four or four times. And wow. so, you know, that does a lot to a person, um, even if they're an adult. But, you know, many, many people who dealt with molestation experienced that at an early age, at a young age. And, mm-hmm. and, and and the reason why, because people like myself, I started being molested by the age of seven. Um, right. Normally that, that young person, girl or male uh, story or, or, or accusations is not, you know, I mean, it holds no weight because, you know, yeah. many people say kids don't know what they're talking about. They over exaggerate. So being molested, experienced through the, the, the abuse mentally, um, shifted around from family member to family member. Uh, end up with my father, um, someone who also was dealing with his own demons, his own uh, trauma. Uh, I used to get physically abused by this dude uh, constantly, you know, and to, mm-hmm. to a point to where, you know, me happened to lick water. I mean, really, like, it's crazy because I'm talking about it now. And it's like, I hate even talking about it because it's going to be in my book. But got it. Okay. it we that, don't have to give it all away. Oh, no, no, it's, it's cool, you know, because. <laughs> Somebody's gonna watch this. Somebody's gonna listen to this, and somebody's story may be parallel. And they need to hear someone who experienced what they experienced, so they can have the strength and confidence to overcome. Yes. And so, I love sharing my story. But you know, I remember everything so vividly that being abused and beaten um, by my father, running my head into the wall, licking water off the floor, um, mm. beaten with shoes and stuff like that. Um, when you look at a young kid like that who experienced these type of uh, experiences. Um, you're looking at trauma. You're looking at a lot right. of trauma. You're looking at you're looking at a lot of um, PTSD. You know, what I mean, you're looking at a lot of of anger. You're looking at a kid who is broken, torn, um, emotionally distraught. I mean, everything you possibly could think of, and that's what I experienced. And so, as I got a little older, I don't want to say about 11, I started getting into trouble, running ins with the law, um, fighting in every school I ever been into. And, you know, I found myself starting to use drugs by the age of 12. I started smoking weed and it went on from weed to marijuana and uh, cocaine by the age of 13. By 13, I'm literally going to school high and drunk, you know. And, wow. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to stop you right there, Archivius, <laughs> just because we have to go to a break. Um, okay. So we're at, we're at age 13. Um, and when we come back, we're going to uh, continue on. And so uh, okay. everybody... Stay with us. We'll be right back on the live exchange. All right. 
All right, welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and uh, today um, we are talking about finding the drive against the odds. And right now, I'm talking to Archivius Armstrong, who's uh, really just uh, you know sharing his story, um, as well as um, I- I'm hoping to get some really uh, great nuggets of insight and lessons that he's learned along the way. Um, because today, um, Archivius is. Um, you know, somebody who is making a difference in the world and, and um, it, against the odds. Um, and before the break, he, you know, spoke about um, just the, the abuse that he's experienced, um, that which includes sexual abuse. And I think it's so important that this is being talked about because men and boys are silenced um, even more so than women and girls are when it comes to the subject matter. Um, I've heard so many times that when a man talks about or, or a boy or a teenager talks about um, being sexually abused, it's kind of like, well, yeah, you got some, what's the problem? Um, and so we need to have these kinds of conversations so people understand, no, no, this is actually traumatizing and this is not what is supposed to be happening. So Arcadius, um, do, do you, does that resonate with you at all? Is that, have, have you heard, I guess, with regards to men being silenced when it comes to sexual abuse and um, how they're supposed to respond? Yes, you know what I mean. Um, can you hear me good? Yes, I can. Awesome, awesome, absolutely. You know what I mean. It resonated with me a lot. You know what I mean because I I felt like it was important for me to not share this with someone. You know what I mean. Carry this to the grave with me. Um, was it was nothing that I was proud of. You know what I mean because you know what I mean how certain things happened to me and the way it happened to me at certain parts of my life. You know, I, I don't know, at, at, at seven years old, any seven-year-old kid will be excited about being forced to do something that um, he didn't want to do or, or right. you know what I mean, also being forced to do something at the age of eight by a man to do something um, that you did not want to do. So, but, you know, right. for those young men now, young younger men, you're starting to see a lot of it, but where you see younger men, 12, 13, or like say 14, 15 years old, um, mm-hmm. being forced to have sex with young women, um, yes, those young men will probably walk around like a badge of honor on their chest like they got some, but these encounters for me happened before I was 10. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and any kid or any individual can, can, can contest it is that um, your brain is not even fully, and not even nowhere even developed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And like, you you processing it, but you don't understand it. You don't understand what's going on and, and why it's going on. You don't understand the, the pain, the hurt, and, and, and the issues that the person who's causing this to you, you don't understand nothing. Right. Yeah. So you're, you're you know, it, it, yeah, I would imagine at that age, and, and I just think it's so uh, commendable, it's so important that you're willing to tell your story. In the, in the last break, you said you, you know, you love telling your story because it, it can help liberate other people. And it's just um, so critically important, um, you know, because I, I really, as much as our young girls and our young women are um, silenced and, and experience this, I think we just don't pay enough attention to what's happening to our boys. The whole time I was raising my own son, I never, never thought about that. It didn't occur to me that that was a possible thing that could happen to him. Whereas with my daughter, it was like all, you know, natural, like, oh no, she's not going over there. She's not doing that because you know, and, and so we need to have that same instinct for our boys um, because I, I think there's a lot of ignorance, you know, when it comes to to that. And there's, a, there's a high tolerance now when we look at the 
demographics of how society is set up now, um, it's, it's more, and, and it's not to ruffle no feathers or, yeah. or, or, or call anyone out, but, you know, there's a lot of free spirit things that's, that's going around to where people are more subject to experiment and try things that's not the norm. And and mm. it's, 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 it's deemed to be okay and, and it's highlighted to be acceptable um, through society. And so you see these behaviors in school when, when you never saw these type of things. And I'm going to speak on it for a second. I'm not going to harp upon it too long. But where in school where you, you have Timothy, you want to be called Tiffany. And by law, you have to call T- uh, Timmy Tiffany. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I mean, vice versa. And, you know, now you have where if a girl or a guy consider themselves the opposite sex, they can walk into restrooms. So our young people, this generation right now have, have more to, to worry about than what I had to experience or worry about as a kid, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. This is a weird subject though. Uh, yeah, it, it it absolutely is, and I'm um, I'm gonna pivot in a different direction. <laughs> no, but, but but I will say smart. though, it's you, smart. You're, 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 <laughs> endorsements, no sir. Very very. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say that you are absolutely right. That we are exposed to a lot more. Um, our children are exposed to a lot more now than we were, in, you know, growing up. And and one of the re- and and my children grew up in two different eras. My son is now 26. My daughter is 14, 25. My daughter is going to be 14. And so we're looking at two totally different eras um, in which she's exposed to everything. All she has to do is ask Siri something and, and a whole host of oh anything. Exactly. I, you know, I can only, you know, and, and thank God she's still grossed out by things, but, you know. <laughs> you know but, tell, her she, tell her to keep that nasty taste in her mouth. Right, right. But, <laughs> you know, but then the, the other thing is, if that ever, when that changes, we're human. So at some point when that changes, will mom know this and will she come to mom and talk to mom about these things, you know? And so that's the other thing is, is to what extent do children feel safe and young people feel safe in talking to adults to, to about some of these things. So, um, but, the, but before the break, you had, um, you'd gotten to age 13 and you were saying that you went to school um, every morning high. So you had, you had kind of turned to drugs at some point in your life. What was that about? Was that numbing or was it just yes. the cool thing to do? Everybody was doing it. Yes. Again, um, you know, during the time where I was coming up, you had, you had, you know, a lot of drugs, a lot of violence, you know, times where we didn't have food in the house, running hot water, nor did we have lights, um, how to, um, bathe off a stove because you didn't have hot water, so you have to boil your water. And then yeah. they have to steal a meter off an apartment complex to um, actually turn on the light so you can do the things you need to do. So absolutely, a lot of drugs that I took, a lot of things that I experienced, experienced or was experimenting, it was to numb the pain. It was to allow me or help me to escape my reality. And, you know, once you try to escape your reality, when you come back to your reality, you try to take even worse drugs or stronger drugs to keep you up there even longer. So I just started experimenting to to, to, to get, really get to a place where I didn't want to be where I was. Got you know, it. And, and so I'm going to stop you right me. there. Um, we didn't get too much further with your story, but that's a really good <laughs> thing to come back with, with this whole idea of numbing and then coming back. And what is that? 
you know, mean when you come back from that numbing place. So stay with us. Um, We're going to continue this conversation on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and I am joined by Archivius Armstrong, and uh, we are together dissecting this idea of finding the drive against the odds. Um, right before the break, um, we we talked about um, the idea of you know Archivius said that just kind of as, as early as 13, um, he was going to school and pretty much high every morning on different types of drugs, but um, it was really a numbing, um, a way to just kind of escape um can you just talk to that a little bit um i know you were getting into it right before the break oh absolutely you know uh again um those those type of things that i was experiencing in life um was very detrimental because you know i don't think any kid ever should have to experience not having food in a refrigerator nor not having lights not having running hot water um not right. knowing when the next meal will, will be coming so um, you, you're gonna you're gonna do things. You're gonna try things to escape, and that's what I did. And I became so reliant on alcohol, weed, that you know the word got back around to my mom that you know your son is out here, you know what I mean, doing drugs and, and and getting high. And so with her struggling and battling with her own addiction, it was hard for her to tell me her son to stop doing something mm-hmm. when you doing your thing. And so she yeah. gave me the green light. I, I said I said this to wow. people. Like my mom told me, listen, if you're gonna get high, if you're gonna drink alcohol, do it in my house. Don't do it out there in the streets. And so yeah. you the last thing you ever should ever tell a, a 13-year-old kid, a 12 or 13-year-old kid, it's okay to get high and get drunk. Yeah. And that's exactly what she did. And you know, I can recall certain times I started selling drugs by 12. I have one of my oldest brothers who's doing 30 years federal time right now. He's been down 20 years. Uh, he he started giving me drugs to start the sale. And so I used to put me in the crack houses. And I guess when my mom found out that I was selling drugs, instead of her being a mother telling me that you're not going to be doing this, you're not going to be doing that, my mom used to come to me to try to buy drugs at 12 oh, or 13 God. years old. And so I never sold drugs to her. But these are the type of things that yeah. I was experiencing, I was going through. And so to try to go to school to get an education, trying to go to school to read, try to bring books home to do homework, it was not an option. That was not even, a, that was not even in the equation. Right. Education was not the key. Like my mom dropped out, my sisters dropped out, my brothers dropped out. And so to me, education was not the key. Survival was the key. Right. You know I mean? so going to school to get two free meals Going to school to escape what my reality was, was was all my reality. So, you know, when I had kids coming to school, they had on the latest clothes. I didn't have those things. Yeah. Well, I would go to the mall and I would steal my clothes. You know what I mean? And I because I wanted the latest things. I wanted nice things and I didn't have those things. So, again, it goes back to what we, the, the, the question was, yes, I did drugs to escape. I did drugs to, to also fit in. Because there was older people who I used to get high with. So I wanted to fit in with the with the older crew. And so I was easy to be influenced because I was the youngest dude in the crowd. Yeah. You know what what's um interesting is that you know we we I come from the background of um, higher education, but um, you know, I teach in a program where we're preparing educators. And you know, it's 
of one of the things that gets missed is, you know, we try to figure out how to help young people succeed and um, graduation rates and all of these kinds of things. Um, but if you have a young archivist in your office, maybe you're a principal in the principal's office, the last thing archivist needs is a punishment or some kind of lecture or some kind of why aren't you doing well and why are you getting all these whatever the grades were um, that, you know, that doesn't necessarily serve young archivists. <laughs> what what do the young archivists need? Is there anything schools can do? Because at least they're they're able to have these young men in their buildings. Is there anything a school can do that could effectively change or help a young man's life? Well, absolutely. Um, I, my program actually is called Step Up Leadership. It's a social development program. And what we are witnessing in our mm-hmm. schools, from elementary to middle school to high school, is a social disconnection. You have people who don't yeah. experience the things or understand the things that these young people have experienced. So automatically, there are there's already a social disconnection. We don't have nothing in common. We don't have no no, no nothing that we can talk about. Yes, you, right. tell, you can tell me all day, every day, you're amazing, you're beautiful. Why are you doing this? I I've heard it all. Mm-hmm. I was excited everything that you can possibly tell me to, to inspire me or motivate me. But until you understand my pain, until you understand what I'm going through, you yeah. know what I mean? You're telling me why I'm sleeping. Did you know that I just had to wake up three of my siblings to get them on the bus? Did, did you know that my mom didn't come on last night? Do you right. know that I'm living with my grandmother and she's sick? And, you know, we all sleeping on the floor. Do you know, like, so all of these things until a person understand that, and I said, I don't care how many degrees people have, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I have, my degree is an experience. Yeah. A person who go to school for these degrees can never match degrees with experience. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? Because I lived it. I experienced it. So I can talk about the feeling. I can talk about the trauma. I can talk about the emotions. I can talk about the hurt. Whereas a person who, who had both of their parents, who had structure, who luckily didn't have to go through it, they don't. They would never understand that part. Yes, you can match someone's behavior with what textbook says, but you sit down with somebody who, like myself, they need more people like yeah. myself in these schools. Yes, um, absolutely. And, yeah. and, 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 and so, but again, I had to put so much work in to become who I am and where I'm at today to where I can go. Like I, I really had to prove my point. I had to really show my, uh, um, my, my credibility of I am serious. I am committed. I am dedicated to this. So now mm-hmm. I can, I am contracted inside this uh, CMS schools here, Gaston County schools. I am contracted inside the County jails here. Um, I have partnerships with the police department as well. And so, but I had to put in the work, for me to have that 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 type of leverage, but prior to when you go into these schools, they were not letting people like myself in. You know, what yeah. I mean, they want people who have degrees, bachelor bachelor's degrees, master degrees. How many how many years you've been doing that? And I don't care how many people you put in these schools, if they don't have a connection with these kids, you're not winning. You're not going to really uh, succeed or be successful. Yeah, no, that's so important. Um, you, you know. I see two. I see two avenues here. I see the, the 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 we so we have the people that are currently there. You know the people who are the teachers and you know principals or or whatever, and they may have some level of degrees. But 
did not have the experiences that some of these kids are having. Um, and then I also see the potential for people who have had these experiences to come into these schools and to make a difference. Um, and so being able to create access to people like yourself to make a difference in these schools is going to be important. What needs to be done for the people that are already in the schools, they already have the degrees, they have the book knowledge, but they have no idea how to connect to a child who is experiencing trauma at home. What needs to be done about those people? Because they are the majority of what these kids see. Do they need, I mean, Training can only do so much. <laughs> that's, that's actually a great question. That is a great question because that question, I think, needs to be asked more Yeah. Um, from teachers. Teachers, mm-hmm. what, what more can I learn? And I'm going to tell you, this is what. Before you can ever connect with anyone, first, you must allow yourself to be accessible. Yeah. In a way that I don't want you to think I want you to listen to what I'm telling you what to do or I want you to do what I'm telling you to do. Like, that's what the problem is. Like, teachers, they go in as teachers. Mm-hmm. And like, and, and I'm not saying you need to be a friend or nothing like that, but sometimes you got to learn how to listen. Yes. Sometimes you got to learn when to be a student. Right. You know? And so, but I think many teachers don't know how to separate the two. You know, yeah. and you got to also look at it too. Um, teachers' mindset now is really based off: I'm here to get paid, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, teacher, teachers are becoming more younger and younger now, so they yeah. like what half of these kids like. They're they're they they don't they don't have kids on, on uh, of their own, so it's it's already a disconnection right there. You know what I mean? Right. Just because you're coming out of college with a two-year or four-year degree, you fresh out of college, you didn't even give yourself a break yet. And you're going right into these schools. You know, and many of these schools, I'm, not, I'm in these schools all the time, and you see half of these teachers, man, they come in with piercings in their nose, all type of stuff. Then you know what I mean? They, 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 they want to have these conversations and when they want to be friends. And you can't have that. you got to understand you have to draw a line. But yet, to your question, you have to put your guard down and understand to listen more to these kids. Yeah. Listen to what they're saying. Listen, listen, listen. To what they say, hear and don't hear. Sometimes you gotta, you gotta act like you're not listening to what they're talking about. And sometimes right. it's, it's choosing the right time to pull that kid to the side. Say, hey, hey, Joshua, hey, I want to show you something. So when class is over, I want you to stay back a few minutes and and ask, how can I help you? Yeah. You? And so it's really like you're gonna have to go the extra mile. Because when that kid that kid is going through something, he don't have somebody that's going to pull him aside and say, listen, I, I, I can help you. Just let me help you. So that's yeah. one of the things right there. That's so key. It's how can I help you and not what's wrong with you. And I think that yeah, what's wrong yeah, with you yeah. happens way too much. Um, oh, so many nuggets here. Um, we're going to go to break. Uh, we'll be right back on the live exchange. All right, welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and I am joined by Archivius Armstrong, and we're um, you know having a really important conversation about what it means to find the drive and to make it um, beyond the odds. Um, and one of the, the last things that we were talking about is you know what are the role, what's the role of teachers and educators who might not be able to personally identify with what the students are going through, um, but 
need, they're in a position where somebody who is going through something that's really dire um, need proper attention. Archivius, one of the things that you said about teachers just listening um, and, uh, you know, we, we kind of came to this idea of not just asking what is wrong with you, but what can I do to help? Reminds me of this concept called um, cultural humility, which basically means it's kind of like in that social justice, diversity, family of, of terminology. But this one is about being humble. You know, I'm not the expert in everybody's life. I'm not the expert of, of black men. I'm not the expert of, you know, whoever I'm working with. I'm gonna sit and learn and listen for them and I'm okay with being wrong. And one of the things that I see as one of the biggest problems with teachers is the is, are the egos and the power trip that doesn't allow themselves to be wrong. The student is always wrong. The kid needs to be quiet. The kid is, you know, and so that humility, I think, is is something that would be an important element. I mean, if you have any thoughts on that. Absolutely. You know, I feel like, you know, I mean, we have to also take into consideration uh, when we were once kids ourselves. Yes. And we, <laughs> and, yes. And, we, and we always had something to say and we were always told to either be quiet. You don't know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Uh, just listen. And so we have to also, we, we have, I, I mentor all the time. I tell parents, let's not forget we were once kids ourselves. And, and we wanted to be heard. We, we wanted, wanted to be heard. To be heard. <laughs> yeah. And so, and, and, and it goes back to you when you were saying like your daughter get to a certain age when she's wanted to come talk to you, you want her to be able to come talk to you because you want to listen. And, and I think we have to take yeah. that into consideration. I have 11 year old, uh, my 11 year old is the oldest. And I want her to be able to come to me and talk. I want her to know that I'm here to listen and yet give you sound advice. And I think those who are in position, if you're a teacher, I don't care if you're a mother or father, I don't care if you're a community leader, I don't care who you are, that we have to learn to start giving our attention and a listening ear to those who have something to say. Everyone has a valid point. I don't care how we look at it. But we have to stop turning our ear and eyes away from these young people because, trust me, if we keep ignoring it, it gets worse. And we see yeah. it today. We are watching yeah. it happen before our eyes today. Right. Oh, gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, um, you know, with every hour, we give a little bit of research. And um, I'm wondering, if, as you listen to this research, I would love to hear how, if at all, it applies to your life, because at some point you made a you pivoted. You gave your life to Christ. Yeah. You started working to serve the community. And so this theory that I'm I'm going to share is called self-determination theory. And it was developed by Desi and Ryan. And okay. basically there's three things that people need in order to be determined um, in life. And one is competence, um, basically having a sense of I, I'm, I'm competent. I know how to do th- whatever it is that I need to do or whatever it is I'm trying to do. I have the level of intelligence I need within me to make something happen. So somebody has to feel competent. Number two, relatedness, which means that I have to have some kind of connection with people who care about me. Um, I need to feel like I'm not just alone in this world, but that somebody has my back. And then the third one is autonomy, Um, really the ability to feel in control of your own life to some extent. Um, So, so of course, you know, being a child, you might not have a control over everything, but that you do feel some level of control over some aspect of your life. And so when these three things come together, um, we are 
inherently more determined. If one of these are missing, and, and, and this research says that we're all born with all three of these, we're born feeling competent, we're born feeling a sense of relatedness to whoever our immediate family is, and then we're born with a sense of autonomy. If we need something, we scream for it. If we're hungry, we make it known. If we're hurting, we make it known. Um, but as soon as one of these are gone, once we start getting older and somebody says, you're stupid, you're not smart, you can't do this, we lose our competence. When we start having things like family members being torn away from us, we start losing our relatedness. And then when we have no control, maybe somebody is abusing us, then we have a, we lose our sense of autonomy. So as um, we begin to live life, we might lose some of those things. But in order to help somebody become determined, we need to make sure that those three things exist in some capacity in their life. So I'm just curious to know the extent to which this might resonate with your experience um, as you started to make your own transition in life. Well, I'm going to say this. And again, to each his own. Yeah. But I feel like you have to know who you are. You have to know where you want to go in life. And you got to know how you're going to get there. Yeah. And I think you cannot, I'm going to say that again. You have to first, it starts with you. You got to know who you are. You got to know who you are. And, and that, that little piece right there is, is, is you taking the time out to get to know who you are. Mm-hmm. Many of us don't like time alone. We don't like to spend time with ourselves. Right. Secondly, you have to know what you want in life. If you are going, like if it's, 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 here's a perfect example. If you're trying to get somewhere, and you don't know how to get there. Try getting there without GPS or MapQuest or anything. Just try it. Try to try to get to your destination without knowing how to get there or no sense of direction. So you got to know who you are. You got to know what you want in life. And most importantly, you got to know how you're going to get there. You have to have a plan. Yeah. You mm-hmm. have to have a plan. And, and I'm, I'm going to say this because I love it. The fact that the matter is, you may not have family support. And chances are, let me give you a newsflash, you're not going to have family support. You're not going to have those who you think that's going to be in your corner give you more support. It's not going to be there. Yeah, it doesn't prepare always come yourself. from family. Yeah. You know, prepare yourself. Here's another newsflash. Every day is going to be a battle. Yeah. Every, every Listen, every day, get prepared to, to get up and lace up. Get up, lace up, because life is brutal. And and listen, it wakes you up every day prepared to fight. You have to be prepared to fight back. Thirdly, I'm going to say this again because a lot of people misunderstand this whole fact. The fact of the matter is, if you don't got God, I'm sorry, you might believe in Buddha, you might believe in uh, Allah, I don't know, you might believe in nothing. But if you don't have God in your life, your life is going to be hell. I believe in it. I solely, truly believe if you don't have God in your life or some type of relationship or some type of faith, faith, whatever it is, your life is going to be hell. And I'm, I, I, and again, I don't know if I answered that, but I just truly feel like you got to know who you are. You got to know what you right. want. You got to know where you want to go in life. You got to. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I, I do think you absolutely answered it. I think, um, I there's 
there's a point at which somebody comes to that place where they say, I know mm-hmm. what I want in life. Um, and, and so what did, how did that happen for you? How did you come to Christ and how did you come to know, okay, this is what I'm going to do with my life and I'm going to, I'm going to make it happen. I had no clue what I wanted from life once I was was released from prison. I didn't know. I didn't have a slightest idea how this thing is going to work. I don't don't know who to turn to. Everyone is still in the streets. My mom is still in the hood. My sister's still running around. I I don't have that support system. I don't have that person who I can call and say, hey, I need your help. I need your support. I need you to help. I didn't have that. So I had no clue. I knew for a fact I'm going I'm going into this thing blind. If I got to close my eyes and feel my way through this thing, I guess God is this is what you got me doing because I don't have nobody I can reach out to and grab a hold to. So I didn't yeah. have that. So I had nothing but faith and hope to hope uh, to hold on to. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so many people and I think the problem with many people is that they have too many people they can rely on. Right. They have too, they have too many safety nets. They got too much cushion. But when you know you turn around and you know there's no one behind you to catch you when you fall, when you look in each corner, you realize there's no one there to talk you through this. There's no one there to help you get. You have nothing but your hope, your faith in God. And that's all I had. Mm-hmm. That's all I had. And I know I had to rely and depend on it because guess what? You got me out of this mess when I was facing 35 years of life. Yeah. You got me out of this mess when I was facing 24 years of life. You mm-hmm. got me out of this mess when I was taking those pills. You got me out of this mess when that gun didn't go off when I tried to kill that person. You mm-hmm. got me out of so much. So I knew whatever you got me paying attention to right now, whatever you doing, whatever you shaking up in my life, you got my full attention. Yeah. So I had nothing but faith and hope to hold on to. And I say this right now, if it got me through what I went through, I know for a fact it's going to get me where I got to go. I love it. I love it. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to make the tie. I'm going to make the connection anyway. I, <laughs> I believe that <laughs> if you don't have anybody to connect to, to relate to, um, your connection and your relation is to God. Um, you, you always have God. God is there. Um, and so start there. If, you, if you've got nothing else, start there and build from there. Um, that's what I heard you say. <laughs> that's all I have. I promise you, I can't, people, listen, I've never been to seminars. I don't follow nobody else. I don't follow no speakers. Listen, I did not choose this platform. God chose me. And I can't tell people how to do something because guess what? It's in me. It's not on me. Right, right. I love it. All right, we're going to go to a break, um, and when we come back, we're going to wrap it up. Um, this conversation with Arcadius Armstrong. Stay with us. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and uh, today we are talking about finding the drive against the odds, and I am joined by Arcadius Armstrong, and uh, we're just talking about his journey and his story. Um, and one thing that I, I really wanted to um, h- highlight as we're kind of wrapping this up is um, that the, the, when we look at the media, the portrayal of black boys and young men um, is one that really invalidates their experiences, minimizes mm. their experiences. And so they don't see, um, you know, it, even if they do see somebody that they can identify with, it's not painted in a positive light or with a whole lot of hope for for the future. Um, so this is one of the reasons why I appreciate the work that you're doing, Archivius, because as you said earlier, 
more people need to be in the schools who can identify and relate to the student experiences, um, not just necessarily people who have trained to be there, but people who have been trained by life um, to be there. Um, and so I'm wondering, are, is there any kind of home growing you're doing within your organization to kind of send out more people into the schools? And if so, how do we get more people into the schools that are doing the work you're doing? Um, first, I would, I, would, I would say this, that it starts with a passion. You got to have a passion to do this because it's it's, it's not easy work. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's not for the faint. It's not for those who just want to, you know, many people now, I would call it, you know, I mean, attention, attention uh, seekers, those I want to take a picture so I can post, so I can get some likes. It's not about that. It's about waking right. up every single day doing it when people are not looking, when people are not watching. Uh, I've lost many kids to the system. I lost many kids to the streets. I just lost last year. Two of my kids got killed in gun violence. And so mm-hmm. you still have to have the, the the mindset of saying, even if I don't save one or, or save the, the multitude, I save one. You know what I mean? If I yeah. could just save one, that's an achievement. That's an accomplishment. Um, and again, before, before we even close, I want to say that's another issue. You have a lot of people that, 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 that has the heart to do something good, but they have the wrong motives. You know, mm. you cannot change certain situations and circumstances when you're looking like the problem. You can't. Yeah. Like, I, cannot yeah. be, I cannot be effective in trying to change lives and if I was still the same me. You know what I mean? I can't mm. be drinking. I can't be smoking. I can't be dressing like the problem. And try to change someone like I gotta I gotta approach this thing to 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 a point to where when they see me, they can see themselves. But when they hear me, they can see who they can become. I have to approach it that way. I'm not saying I'm walking around here with a Bible and beating people across the head. I'm not saying I'm walking around here with a three-piece suit. You might see me in a jumpsuit, you might see me in some Air Maxes, you might see me with a, a suit, you might see me dressed casual. I dress however I want to, but when you see and hear me, you see and, and hear hope. And so that's another thing that we have too many people that that, that that looks like the problem and not the solution that's trying to help. And yes, we are in my organization. Uh, we are bringing up people um, to, to, to go into the schools, the schools and the communities. But most importantly, we're doing more so collaborations with other organizations that's that's like minded, that has the same vision that's shooting for, at the same target. So that's where we're at right now. We're, we're still partnering with, with the, uh, we, we're hosting a book club in the county jail right now to where uh, they just purchased uh, 50 books and uh, for 60 days, for no, I'm sorry, for, for for two weeks, I'm breaking down my books, my, my chapters in yeah. my book to, put to the inmates. Um, then you got the diversion program where, you know, we're kicking that off this summer uh, where we're actually helping people um, to get on the right track and get them jobs. We got a job fair that's going on next week for nothing but convicted felons. We, we have employers ready to give nothing but convicted felons um, jobs. And we got the summer camp where I got teenage boys um, for one month every weekend. We're taking them to the mountains and we, we're we actually going to be hiking. We're going to be camping out in the woods. We're going to be fishing. We're going to be kayaking. Just taking them out their surroundings and their environment and really teach them like that. So again, um, my hands is always in the mud. Um, my, my, my heart is still there, but you got to have a, a, a heart for this. You cannot be 
talking about I want to do it for the attention. Or I, I know you better, you better really love this stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, as well, a teacher, is- you gotta love to teach. Absolutely. Well, well, I appreciate you and and all of the work that you're doing. I wish we had more time because just what you said alone just now triggered more questions. But if anybody wants to get in touch with you on Instagram, um, what was your handle again? Okay, my Instagram, my IG account is arcinspire81. That's A-R-K-I-N-S-P-I-R-E 81. I am also on Twitter at arcinspire17. I'm on Facebook, Archivius J. Armstrong. I am on LinkedIn, Archivius Armstrong. If you want to go visit my website at www.thatsartinspire.com where people can actually get my latest book, Confidence From Within, or my latest documentary, uh, The Greatest, uh, the Journey to Greatness. Uh, we also have motivational posters where, you know what I mean, we're, we're tapping into that thing as well. So, But um, if you can't recommend anything, just Google me and a lot of things will come up. I love it. Thank you so much, Archivius. And check out Step Up to Leadership, the mentoring program that he's referring to. Um, It's it's doing some, they're doing really good work. That's so important. And thank you all for joining us today on the live exchange where we exchange compelling dialogue around uh, humanity, intellect, and change every week. Uh, We'll be here next week to discuss Black stress. Together, we can right the wrongs. We can speak the truth. We can rise above and we can stand for change. Have an empowering week.